Quick talk. Fast talk. Street talk. Talk radio. The independent republic of Mike Graham. Radio you can believe in. Mike Graham. Speaking common sense unto the nation. On talk radio. Well, here we are then. Apparently everything's all right now. You don't have to worry about anything. Kids are going to school not wearing a mask, but they had to wear masks for so long because it was so dangerous. Not dangerous anymore. Not since this morning, apparently, according to Boris Johnson. It's quite a coincidence, isn't it, that everything's been taken away. All of the restrictions have disappeared. It only took Boris Johnson's job on the line to make it happen. Listen... I'm like you. I'm very happy that the freedom that we once had to walk around without a mask on our face uh, and to not have to work from home, uh, that I never did, by the way, um, has been uh, now told that we don't need to do that anymore because we are back to normal. Next week, we'll be back to normal even more. So that's all great, isn't it? However, the difficulty for me is I have one question. What was it all for, then? And I'm not just talking about Plan B. I'm not just talking about Plan A, I'm talking about Tier 1, Tier 2, Tier 3, and Tier 4. I'm talking about a circuit breaker lockdown. I'm talking about a lockdown to save the NHS. I'm talking about a lockdown to save Christmas. I'm talking about a lockdown to save Easter. I'm talking about a lockdown to save the NHS again. We've had an awful lot of just-in cases, haven't we? We were talking uh, earlier in the week about Chris Whitty. Where is he? Why hasn't he said anything? He told us more or less that Omicron was a very dangerous and very transmissible virus. Now they talk about Omicron as though it's an actual virus. Omicron is not dangerous, they say, which relieves them from having to say that COVID is not dangerous, right? So COVID is not dangerous, but it's not called COVID anymore because it's not dangerous. We've got a lot to work out this morning, and fortunately, we have a very intelligent person to help us with it. Francis Hall, barrister and commentator, is here, because I've got lots of questions for him about the law. What happens, for example, if you were prosecuted uh, under some COVID regulations, and now you find that actually lots of people were breaking them and it wasn't a problem? Does Boris Johnson really think that we can forget what's been going on? Does he really think that by telling some people about how his family had some COVID and it was a bit of a difficult time for him, that we would all go, oh, that's OK then? Does he really think that behaving cavalier-like and not bothering to actually adhere to any of the regulations that he put on everybody else, that we will all just go, oh, OK then? Now that you've lifted all the restrictions, we'll just carry on and forget about it. Does he really think that? Yesterday in Westminster was one hell of a roller coaster ride. It kicked off with Prime Minister's questions and the defection of Christian Wakeford to Labour. More about him later. There was also the spectre of a vote of no confidence as the so-called pork pie coup got underway on the back benches, but it seemed to fall away uh, towards the end of the day. Sir Keir Starr was even cracking jokes. Unbelievable, right? This morning, Boris Johnson's supporters are rallying the troops, claiming that he's safe and that he's going to stay. Well, I don't think he is. I still think that he should go, uh, and I'll hear from you on that, 03444991000. Coming up, we've got Michael Fabricant, MP, who's got some choice words uh, for the weasel Wakeford, who's only ever had complete disdain for the Labour Party, and even sponsored a bill to force a by-election on any MP who changed parties in midstream. I don't think he wants that anymore, though. 
amazing, isn't it? Oh, Mehmet's going to help us with the latest on the migrant crisis. We've got um, uh, Esther Kraku here as well. We'll find out what she thinks of the state of play. And also we'll be telling you why the Reverend Richard Coles, the celebrity vicar, has found himself banned from Facebook because of a supposedly offensive post about faggots. Yep. 0344 You're listening to me, Mike Graham, on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Uh, my apologies to Francis Hall for taking such a long time, but it's a bit like the opening remarks in a courtroom, uh, Francis. I wanted to try and get it all out there. Um, so welcome and a very good morning to you. Welcome, Mike. Thank you. Um, I mean, hello, Mike. So. Yeah. <laughs> See, this this mind-melding thing's easy when you know how. It's like sage, you know, just get people to do what you want. Um, I found myself quite happy yesterday with all of the developments. Um, we can go into to the reasoning uh, and and the, the whys and wherefores. But the first question I've got, really, for you, Francis, is what was it all about then? Was it? Can we conclude that, yes, of course, there was a dangerous virus um, coming at us and of course people suffered and of course people lost loved ones and of course people died but the vast majority of the damage done to our society was done to very much elderly people and very much sick people wasn't it i think we can say that it was a gigantic experiment and in my view it was the worst public policy decision in peacetime in modern times i think we will look back on these two years i hope that we will look back if we have any sanity historically Mm. on these two years and wonder what it was that led us to abandon all our pandemic plannings, all our experience of the progression of respiratory viruses, and most importantly of all, all of our understanding of the central importance of freedom and constitutional probity Mm. and democracy in governing ourselves. Yes, because I think an awful lot of people, and I know that you and I are among them, were quite alarmed at the speed with which legislation was put together, um, that laws were passed, laws were enacted without even being discussed or debated in Parliament, that, you know, we need to find a place where we can say this must never be allowed to happen again in the way that it happened. Yes, absolutely. And I I, I was saying that from the beginning of March in 2020, um, and I identified in late March um, and, and in early April the fundamental problems with this, the monomania, the fact that this the government was allowed to concentrate solely on one virus, it did, the fact that it had made no attempts to investigate and analyse the possible harms that this will cause, notwithstanding that it had already done that on a general basis rather than a specific basis in its pandemic plan, notwithstanding that the WHO's panic pandemic plan, and we need to remember this, in October 2019, recommended against far more moderate measures than this. Mm-hmm. It recommended against, for example, the isolation of even sick people by force. It recommended against, heavily recommended against, um, the isolation of contacts of sick people. Now, those were all eventually imposed, actually later, as it happens, than the lockdown. But they were far more moderate than the lockdown that we had, which was a Chinese communist experiment. Mm. Let us not forget, a Chinese communist experiment. It had no data behind it. It still has no data behind it. It was recommended against. It did not comply. If, If one looks at the evidence, the evidence that we knew about in March 2020, the evidence that was being spoken about by Michael Levitt, a Nobel laureate, by um, Professor Yanudis of Stanford University, one of the most cited 
um, scientists in the world were saying that the Diamond Princess, which was an experimental observate, an opportunity to observe mm. the infection fatality rate of this virus and the age stratification of this virus, showed, as you said correctly, that only very elderly people were mainly at risk. Obviously, everyone is at risk from any respiratory yeah. virus, including people who are normally well. Yeah. That's the case for the flu. That's even the case for the common cold. But the fact is that this was never the desperately dangerous pandemic um, on the Spanish flu scale that we were told about. We knew that from the start. The average age we now know is over the average age for, um, for, for death and mortality anyway. Um, and we know, um, as it happens in the first year um, of the virus, those who are under 60 with no previous conditions, under 60 with no previous conditions, so serious enough to be mentioned on a death certificate, it was about 400 to 500 people. So yes, totally disproportionate. But even if this was a most a more serious, a much more serious pandemic, and the pandemics, the serious pandemics that were prepared for in the pandemic plans um, were estimates of 700,000 people dying. Even in those in those um, considerations, even in those situations, it would not have been justified or proportionate to shut down society. And the reason for that is because first of all those sort of lockdowns don't work if you look at the comparative evidence and you look at the analysis not by modeling but by examples of countries around the world that locked down and that didn't lock down think for example on the one hand peru and chile that had incredibly serious lockdowns and sweden on the other hand that didn't you will see that in the long term certainly and even in some cases in the short term they made very little difference to deaths overall and deaths overall of course is the only really sensible metric of mm. this and the reality is that the long-term consequences of this will be with us the long-term consequences on public health the long-term consequences to our society the long-term consequences on our children who we have thrown to the wolves over the last two years will be astronomical yes and it is absolutely shameful that our political classes have allowed this to happen. It is disgraceful that our opposition has never asked the questions that they should have been asking. It is unconscionable that the media, by and large, with some honourable exceptions such as yourself, um, have failed to put these questions to them, to hold the government to account, to hold the health elites to account, to question why as you said correctly, we have not had debates in Parliament about this. We have used an act of Parliament that was never envisaged would be able to give the government powers to legislate like this and do what, as one Court of Appeal judge um, said in a case that I brought um, on behalf of others in, in um, 2020, were the most severe restrictions on liberty in this country, perhaps ever. Mm. It is shameful. It's a disgrace. And we as a country should feel deeply ashamed of it. I think the only saving grace is that perhaps we are getting out of this insanity earlier than others. Yes, I think that's a very important point to make. But equally, as I say, I'm not going to let them away with that. Because like you, Francis, I'm quite angry about what happened. You know, the idea that suddenly today, uh, this very morning, you know, the 20th of January, Thursday, um, it's no longer dangerous for children to go to school without a mask on. And you, get, you think to yourself, well, why is it only dangerous if you're in a union? You know, because apparently if you're in a union, you've got a much higher chance of catching COVID. Therefore, you have to insist on people being uh, much more cautious around you. 
Well, it, 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 in a union, you rightly say, because the teaching unions have been um, very much a part of the campaign for masks. In fact, um, Mike, it's actually that in a week, it, for the next week, it will still be dangerous in communal areas in yes. school. And only in a week's time will that be reduced. Well, I mean, it's farcical, isn't it? And the trouble is that when the government does something, and this is a problem with a civil service, it's like a very large oil tanker. Mm. And frankly, it's like an oil tanker in the Suez Canal. It's incapable of turning around. And certainly, even when it gets back into the ocean, it's only capable of turning around incredibly slowly, however bad the mistakes were. And this was one of the serious problems of early 2020. Once this had been done, it for matters of pride, and because the civil service will have set these rules and because they set the targets the very as they saw very cautious targets but in fact very radical because they were keeping this radical state of play for uh, um in play for as long as possible it became very difficult to disengage it it became very difficult to move away from it because it will have been such an admission of defeat an admission of wrongdoing effectively which it was of course Yes, exactly right. And as far as the law is concerned, uh, Francis, your your specific area of expertise, many people have pointed to cases of, of prosecution over the last couple of years, people who were fined £10,000 for having a party, people who were fined for sitting uh, in, a, in, a, in a park with, too close to somebody else, all of that. You know, do they have any um, uh, sort of restitution possibility? Can you take a case to the government and say, hang on a minute, you guys were having parties in Downing Street all the time. And, and whenever I hear people saying, oh, why do you care about parties? You know, it's not about the parties. It's about the hypocrisy. And that is the point. Is there anywhere that these people can go legally to say, I want my money back? Well, I mean, legally, these were regulations um, that they were imposed under the Public Health Act. Their lawfulness was challenged um, by Simon Dolan. That's the case I mentioned earlier in which I was acting um, and unsuccessfully. Uh, and um, so they can't legally be overturned. But my um, view is that the government should say um, and should pass legislation to the effect that they are all cancelled, all fixed penalty notices and all convictions are cancelled and all the fines and the fixed penalty notices are repaid. And I think that is the least this government can do, bearing in mind mm. the hypocrisy that it has shown through those parties. As, as you say, the main point there is hypocrisy, but actually the fact that these rules, they never believed in them. They never thought that they were really necessary. And they realized the complete absurdity of not being able to have a gathering in, 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 in a public place outside in May, in the thick of um, what was a very early summer, as we remember in 2020. It was a preposterous rule and one that they had refused to um, remove. But the fine, the £10,000 fines were a, an astonishing abuse of power, an astonishing abuse of the provisions that under the Public Health Act that allowed them to impose this legislation, imposed in some cases on students. And they weren't actually, unlike, and the government, of course, misrepresented what they were. They were in agreement to pay a fine. Nobody had to pay it. Um, because you can refuse to pay a fixed penalty notice and, and require the state to prosecute you. Mm. And at that point, um, the court will decide. And in some cases, in fact, Kirsty Brimelow QC um, has tweeted about this. She brought one of these cases. Um, she, she, um, the student was uh, was told you, you have to pay £10,000, refused to do it, went to court and, and he was eventually fined £200. Well, um, because if once the court looked at the proportionality of the sentence, mm. that's all he was required to pay. So that was an appalling abuse of yes. power. And throughout, the other, the, other, uh, the other thing about this is that the government and the media and the, and the um, 
those who, who have supported them and not challenged them have given the impression that guidance has been law. So mm. even though the law has gone far further than it should, um, the, the the greater guidance, the, the even more restrictive guidance, has been given the impression it's been given the impression that that is law, and it never was. Yeah. So, for example, the closure of schools was only ever a recommendation. Right. There were powers to close schools um, on, in law, and they were never used. And mm. yet, the government said schools must close their gates. Um, and, and the same has been in play with, for example, you'll remember in uh, mid 2020. Um, when most of the restrictions went. In fact, you could legally meet with 30 people. Yeah. But the impression was given by the BBC, by the Times, by many other media commentators and the government that you had to keep to the guidance, and it was only guidance yeah. about households and bubbles and so on. That was an abuse of power, a very yeah. serious abuse of well, power. And even if you think back to all of the madness around uh, hospitality, where you know one minute there was a curfew, uh, the next minute, uh, everything was shut at 10 o'clock and in the centre of London and other cities, uh, there were hordes of people all partying in the street. And you kind of go, great idea, well done. Um, and then they had this kind of the Scotch egg manoeuvre uh, where you could only sit in a pub if you were eating something and it had to be something substantial. And we had, you know, you cannot legislate for this kind of madness. And they admitted later the curfews were all just made up. The, the, the rule of six was made up. They thought of a number and, and had a debate, believe it or not, in Cabinet about whether it should be six or eight. And you're going, and is that the most important thing you can talk about? And they have consistently failed to provide evidence for these these measures. Um, when we've challenged them in court, when the, the, my clients have challenged them in court in the cases that I've been in, they come up with the routine explanation that any reduction in social interaction must, by definition, in, in decrease the risk of transmission. And they haven't cited any evidence no. to support that. Uh, uh, and in fact, there's a good deal of evidence that these these measures made no difference. Certainly masks, the, the best measure of masks is this. If a country introduced masks mandates in isolation of any other measures, you would expect to see a change in the rate of um, increase or decrease um, of cases. Mm. And in no country that has done that, have you seen that? So yeah. irrespective of whether masks may work in clinical circumstances, irrespective of their utility in surgery, and even that's questionable, there, the evidence out for the last two years from hundreds of millions and billions, in fact, of people across the world shows that they do not work as mandates. Well, as a, a, to, 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 to slightly um, bastardise a well-known phrase, even Dick Turpin wore a mask, um, but it wasn't to take us away from disease. It was to steal from us. But that's another story. Um, we had a call yesterday from a man uh, that we know well on this show, Freddie Scovell, who's a listener, but also a member of the founding member of the Free Speech Union. He was chucked out of a dentist, a place he has been going for a long time, uh, where he was a patient, a regular patient. Um, where he lives because he refused to put a mask on. They started demanding that he show them some kind of medical exemption. He eventually showed them that screenshot, screen grab you can have from the NHS website. But they nevertheless still uh, just chucked him out of the dental um, surgery and told him never to come back. Now, uh, he said to me last night, well, what do I do now? Can I now go back and say, well, now they've lifted it. Next week I can come in as a patient. Well, I, I, I mean, I, they haven't um, established that he does not have an exemption. Um, he normally would have no reason to um, to explain and justify his exemption and, and requiring him to explain it um, requires him to uh, reveal private medical information, which is an intrusion on his privacy. If he has an exemption because he's disabled, and obviously I don't know that, if he had a, an, a, 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 a disability that caused him 
to be um, exempt from mask wearing, then that uh, would have been an act of at least indirect, if not direct discrimination under the Employment Act. Now, obviously, I don't know the facts of that particular case, um, but that can come into play. Uh, and banning him, uh, but in any event, uh, as a matter of humanity, mm. uh, banning him from the surgery uh, for good, for not complying with a measure that doesn't, that isn't absolute, that allows exemptions, when he said that he has an exemption, when they've no reason to believe that he's lying about that, is an extraordinary thing to do. Mm. And I mean, this is quite apart from the legal um, ramifications of that. It shows great inhumanity. And mm. I'm afraid to say our health services have shown enormous inhumanity. There was an example of a nurse who said, well, it's outrageous that these parties were going on when I had to tell somebody that she couldn't see her father when he was dying. Right. And that was for the greater good. No, it wasn't for the greater good. No. That was a disgraceful, inhuman and evil thing to do by that nurse and by that hospital. They didn't have to do it. No. And if they were following orders, they shouldn't have been following them. Exactly right. Like many of the restrictions that we've had to face over the last two years, they were not caused by COVID. They were caused by a government terrified of public opinion, terrified of making a mistake. And in, as a result of which, making too many mistakes to, to number. Just finally, because we've got to run, Francis, um, Boris Johnson, um, he thinks obviously today that he's got away with it. He thinks that by lifting all these restrictions, we'll all forget about his dreadful stewarding, not only of uh, of the last few weeks, but also of the conservative kind of um, manifesto, if you like, and, and, and what he supposedly was going to be elected to do. What's your sort of analysis of what, what happens to him? I, 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 I respectfully disagreeing with you, perhaps. I, I rather think better the devil you know, at least for the moment. Mm. I'm very concerned about who could replace him very concerned indeed jeremy hunt or michael gove would be uh, uh, execrable they have behaved disgustingly over this yeah. uh, particularly gove he's been in power but the court so kind of things that jeremy hunt has called for have been disgraceful mm. um I, I would be terrified at the risk of them coming into power i don't know about sunak and trust who are probably the front lowest runners they perhaps would be a better they certainly would be less disorganized than boris johnson but I, I do wonder whether um, the fact that Boris Johnson is weak is a good thing, because at the moment, I'm not sure that we want strong leaders. Mm. Um, if we had a good, strong leader with great integrity, intelligence and perspicacity, and I can think of one of them in the last uh, 40 years, <laughs> um, then that would be great. But unfortunately, we don't have her. No, absolutely right. Well, I think you might go down in history, Francis, as the first person calling for weak leadership of the country. It might catch on. You could be right. Great to talk to you as ever. Thank you very much indeed. Francis Hall saying, better the devil you know. You might agree with him. Just a group of breaking news before we head to the uh, head to the news headlines. Apparently a senior Conservative MP, one William Ragg, who's chair of the Public Administration and Constitutional Affairs Committee, has said that he's been pressurised by Number 10 Downing Street because of his opposition to Boris Johnson. Uh, he's been threatened... Uh, he says that other members have been threatened as well uh, to be told things like we will pull all funding from your constituency and some rather nasty stories about you might make their way into the press. Well, I think we've seen that with Andrew Bridgen already, have we not? He told us about it on this very show. We need to hear from a lot of you out there today because this is far from over and you may disagree with what I'm saying, in which case let me know why because you might be right. Um, of course, I'm never going to say I might be wrong because I'm never wrong uh, and you will see that as time goes by. Uh, this is, of course, Talk Radio. Talk Radio. The home of common sense. Permanent, persuasive, profound. The machine code of modern thinking. Listen on the app. And watch it live on your smart TV. Talk Radio. 
Tombola, £40,000 in cash prizes will be won every week in our daily free-to-play game, Free Vibes. There's two chances to win every day, with cash prizes up to £5,000 to be won. Play Free Vibes for free with no deposit required. Download the app or go online and come join the fun at Tombola. Players must be over 18, SMS opt-in required, terms apply, please play safely. Picture the scene. Warm summer sun, the smell of sea air and ice cream. Ice cream with sprinkles. It feels so good. Know what else feels so good? Knowing that Pension B combined your old pensions into one simple online plan, managed by one of the world's largest money managers, for peace of mind. Be pension confident. Download the app or visit pensionb.com today. Authorised and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority. Capital at risk. Welcome to the Rosie Hotel. Hello. We're a little early, but thought we might take a dip in the pool before we check in. Of course. Sorry, Mrs Cook, but it looks like your stay isn't for another five months. Yes, that's right. Like getting your money's worth? Enjoy a 99p mayo chicken, part of the McDonald's saver menu. <laughs> From 11am, price and participation may vary. Tesco Bank's new payment card, Club Card Pay Plus, gives you the power to make your money go further. You can pay, save and pick up extra points wherever you shop. Whether that's the movies with the little monsters, a family meal out or just the weekly shop. Plus, spend at Tesco and get double points for the first three months. Club Card Pay Plus provided by Tesco Bank. Apply online now. Every little helps. Minimum spend and exclusions apply when collecting points. Available to Tesco Club Card members age 18 plus. UK residents only. Subject to status. All new Lexus NX feels like nothing that came before with beautifully bold styling, a masterfully crafted interior and an exhilarating ride. Feel more in every moment with the all new Lexus NX self-charging or plug-in hybrid. Book your test drive today at lexus.co.uk. Your way from driveway to motorway. Talk radio. Travel update. Delays on the M8 towards Edinburgh. A queue towards Junction 2 for the M9 interchange. It's roadworks causing these half-hour-long delays. The M1 has been closed towards Nottingham all morning. Southbound 26 to 25. It's busier through Mansfield and Derby as a result. A queue M6 south towards Coventry Junction 3 where two lanes are shut. The M25 clockwise remains closed. Dark to Darrenth Junction 2, queues over the QE2 bridge. I'm Sarah Elliott. Good evening, madam. Just checking in. No, John, I'm not checking in. I live here. Buy any Brook and Wild mattress and you may start to believe you live in a five-star hotel. Layers of luxury in either soft, medium or firm. And right now, get 40% off when you spend £500 or more. Room service... Oh, please. Visit brookandwild.com. Offer ends soon. Honest Talk. Hot Talk. Kyle Talk. Talk Radio. The legendary Jeremy Kyle at Drive on Talk Radio. Fuel your appetite for common sense conversation that puts you in the driving seat. Jeremy Kyle. Your chance to say what you think about this country. Afternoon Drive without compromise or comparison. Go the extra mile. Get home with Kyle. Jeremy Kyle, this afternoon from four on Talk Radio. Talk Radio, half-hour headlines. 
Good morning, I'm Nick Ellaby. This just in, the chair of the Public Administration Committee is accusing government whips of intimidating Tories who have expressed a lack of confidence in Boris Johnson. William Ragg, who's also said he wants the PM to go, has said any politicians should report attempts to try to blackmail them to the police. It is, of course, the duty of the government whips office to secure the government's business in the House of Commons. However, it is not their function to breach the ministerial code in threatening to withdraw investments from members of Parliament's constituencies which are funded from the public purse. The Health Secretary, Sajid Javid, says there are no plans for Boris Johnson to leave 10 Downing Street. The PM had a tough time in the Commons yesterday. Former Brexit Secretary and Senior Tory David Davis called for him to go and Christian Wakeford defected from the Conservatives to Labour. Sajid Javid told Talk Radio the Bury South MP should face a by-election because it's not what constituents voted for. They, in fact, decided at the last election they wanted to get Brexit done. They wanted Boris Johnson as Prime Minister. They wanted a strong economy. They wanted the Conservatives in charge. And now, if he thinks that actually they got it wrong and what they really wanted uh, was uh, Labour, then he should be more than happy to subject himself to the will of the people because that's what matters. Mr Javid has also denied the immediate easing of coronavirus restrictions in England was about saving Mr Johnson's skin. From today, secondary school pupils in England no longer need to wear a face mask in classrooms and working from home guidance has been scrapped. In a week's time, there'll be no need to wear a mask in shops and on public transport. Quick talk, fast talk, street talk, talk radio. The independent republic of Mike Graham. Radio you can believe in. Mike Graham speaking common sense unto the nation. On talk radio. Well, here we are then. Apparently everything's all right now. You don't have to worry about anything. Kids can go to school not wearing a mask, but they had to wear masks for so long because it was so dangerous. Not dangerous anymore. Not since this morning, apparently, according to Boris Johnson. It's quite a coincidence, isn't it, that everything's been taken away. All of the restrictions have disappeared. It only took Boris Johnson's job on the line to make it happen. Listen. I'm like you. I'm very happy that the freedom that we once had to walk around without a mask on our face uh, and to not have to work from home, uh, that I never did, by the way, um, has been uh, now told that we don't need to do that anymore because we are back to normal. Next week, we'll be back to normal even more. So that's all great, isn't it? However, the difficulty for me is I have one question. What was it all for then? And I'm not just talking about plan B. I'm not just talking about plan A, I'm talking about tier one, tier two, tier three, and tier four. I'm talking about a circuit breaker lockdown. I'm talking about a lockdown to save the NHS. I'm talking about a lockdown to save Christmas. I'm talking about a lockdown to save Easter. I'm talking about a lockdown to save the NHS again. We've had an awful lot of just-in cases, haven't we? We were talking uh, earlier in the week about Chris Whitty. Where is he? Why hasn't he said anything? He told us more or less that Omicron was a very dangerous and very transmissible virus. Now they talk about Omicron as though it's an actual virus. Omicron is not dangerous, they say, which relieves them from having to say that COVID is not dangerous, right? So COVID is not dangerous, but it's not called COVID anymore because it's not dangerous. 
We've got a lot to work out this morning, and fortunately, we have a very intelligent person to help us with it. Francis Hall, barrister and commentator, is here, because I've got lots of questions for him about the law. What happens, for example, if you were prosecuted uh, under some COVID regulations, and now you find that actually lots of people were breaking them and it wasn't a problem? Does Boris Johnson really think that we can forget what's been going on? Does he really think that by telling some people about how his family had some COVID and it was a bit of a difficult time for him, that we would all go, oh, that's okay then? Does he really think that behaving cavalier-like and not bothering to actually adhere to any of the regulations that he put on everybody else, that we will all just go, oh, okay then. Now that you've lifted all the restrictions, we'll just carry on and forget about it. Does he really think that? Yesterday in Westminster was one hell of a roller coaster ride. It kicked off with Prime Minister's questions and the defection of Christian Wakeford to Labour. More about him later. There was also the spectre of a vote of no confidence as the so-called pork pie coup got underway on the back benches, but it seemed to fall away uh, towards the end of the day. Sir Keir Starr was even cracking jokes. Unbelievable, right? This morning, Boris Johnson's supporters are rallying the troops, claiming that he's safe and that he's going to stay. Well, I don't think he is. I still think that he should go. Uh, and I'll hear from you on that. 03444991000. Coming up, we've got Michael Fabricant MP, who's got some choice words uh, for the weasel Wakeford, who's only ever had complete disdain for the Labour Party and even sponsored a bill to force a by-election on any MP who changed parties in midstream. I don't think he wants that anymore, though. Amazing, isn't it? Alp Memmott's going to help us with the latest on the migrant crisis. We've got um, uh, Esther Kraku here as well. We'll find out what she thinks of the state of play. And also we'll be telling you why the Reverend Richard Coles, the celebrity vicar, has found himself banned from Facebook because of a supposedly offensive post about faggots. Yep. 03444991000. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Uh, my apologies to Francis Hall for taking such a long time, but it's a bit like the opening remarks in a courtroom, uh, Francis. I wanted to try and get it all out there. Um, so welcome and a very good morning to you. Welcome, Mike. Thank you. Um, I mean, hello, Mike. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> See, this, this mind-melding thing's easy when you know how. It's like sage, you know, just get people to do what you want. Um, I found myself quite happy yesterday with all of the developments, Um we can go into to the reasoning uh, and and the, the whys and wherefores. But the first question I've got, really, for you, Francis, is what was it all about then? Was it? Can we conclude that, yes, of course, there was a dangerous virus um, coming at us. And of course, people suffered. And of course, people lost loved ones. And of course, people died. But the vast majority of the damage done to our society was done to very much elderly people and very much sick people, wasn't it? I think we can say that it was a gigantic experiment and in my view it was the worst public policy decision in peacetime in modern times i think we will look back on these two years i hope that we will look back if we have any sanity historically Mm. on these two years and wonder what it was that led us to abandon all our pandemic plannings all our experience of the progression of respiratory viruses and most importantly of all all of our understanding of the central importance of freedom and constitutional probity Mm. and democracy in governing ourselves. Yes, because I think an awful lot of people, and I know that you and I are among them, were quite alarmed at the speed with which legislation was put together, um, that laws were passed, laws were enacted without even being discussed or debated in Parliament, that, you know, we need to find a place where we can say this must never be allowed to happen again in the way that it happened. 
Yes, absolutely. And I, I, I was saying that from the beginning of March in 2020, um, and I identified in late March um, and, and in early April, the fundamental problems with this, the monomania, the fact that this the government was allowed to concentrate solely on one virus. It did the fact that it had made no attempts to investigate and analyze the possible harms that this will cause, notwithstanding that it had already done that on a general basis rather than a specific basis in its pandemic plan, notwithstanding that the WHO's panic pandemic plan, and we need to remember this, in October 2019, recommended against far more moderate measures than this. Mm -hmm. It recommended against, for example, the isolation of even sick people by force. It recommended against, heavily recommended against, um, the isolation of contacts of sick people. Now, those were all eventually imposed, actually later, as it happens, than the lockdown. But they were far more moderate than the lockdown that we had, which was a Chinese communist experiment. Mm. Let us not forget a Chinese communist experiment. It had no data behind it. It still has no data behind it. It was recommended against. It did not comply. If, if one looks at the evidence, the evidence that we knew about in March 2020, the evidence that was being spoken about by Michael Levitt, a Nobel laureate, by um, Professor Yanudis of Stanford University, one of the most cited um, scientists in the world, were saying that the Diamond Princess, which was an experimental observation, an opportunity to observe mm. the infection fatality rate of this virus and the age stratification of this virus, showed, as you said correctly, that only very elderly people were mainly at risk. Obviously, everyone is at risk from any respiratory yeah. viruses, including people who are normally well. Yeah. That's the case for the flu. That's even the case for the common cold. But the fact is that this was never the desperately dangerous pandemic um, on the Spanish flu scale that we were told about. We knew that from the start. The average age we now know is over the average age for, um, for, for death and mortality anyway. Um, and we know, um, as it happens in the first year um, of the virus, those who are under 60 with no previous conditions, under 60 with no previous conditions, so serious enough to be mentioned on a death certificate, it was about 400 to 500 people. So yes, totally disproportionate. But even if this was a, most, a more serious, a much more serious pandemic, and the pandemics, the serious pandemics that were prepared for in the pandemic plans um, were estimates of 700,000 people dying, even in those in those um, considerations, even in those situations, it would not have been justified or proportionate to shut down society. And the reason for that is because, first of all, those sort of lockdowns don't work. If you look at the comparative evidence and you look at the analysis, not by modelling, but by examples of countries around the world that locked down and that didn't lock down. Think, for example, on the one hand, Peru and Chile that had incredibly serious lockdowns and Sweden, on the other hand, that didn't. You will see that in the long term, certainly, and even in some cases in the short term, they made very little difference to deaths overall. And deaths overall, of course, is the only really sensible metric of mm. this. And the reality is, that the long-term consequences of this will be with us, the long-term consequences on public health, the long-term consequences to our society, the long-term consequences on our children, who we have thrown to the wolves over the last two years, will be astronomical. Yes. And it is absolutely shameful 
that our political classes have allowed this to happen. It is disgraceful that our opposition has never asked the questions that they should have been asking. It is unconscionable that the media, by and large, with some honourable exceptions such as yourself, um, have failed to put these questions to them, to hold the government to account, to hold the health elites to account, to question why, as you said correctly, we have not had debates in Parliament about this. We have used an act of Parliament that was never envisaged would be able to give the government powers to legislate like this and do what, as one Court of Appeal judge um, said in a case that I brought um, on behalf of others in, in um, 2020, were the most severe restrictions on liberty in this country, perhaps ever. Mm. It is shameful. It's a disgrace. And we as a country should feel deeply ashamed of it. I think the you're... only saving grace is that perhaps we are getting out of this insanity earlier than others. Yes, I think that's a very important point to make. But equally, as I say, I'm not going to let them away with that. Because like you, Francis, I'm quite angry about what happened. You know, the idea that suddenly today, uh, this very morning, you know, the 20th of January, Thursday, um, it's no longer dangerous for children to go to school without a mask on. And you, get, you think to yourself, well, why is it only dangerous if you're in a union? You know, because apparently if you're in a union, you've got a much higher chance of catching COVID. Therefore, you have to insist on people being uh, much more cautious around you. Well, it, 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 in a union, you rightly say, because the teaching unions have been um, very much a part of the campaign for masks. In fact, um, Mike, it's actually that in a week, it, for the next week, it will still be dangerous in communal areas. Yes. And only in a week's time will that be reduced. Well, I mean, it's farcical, isn't it? And the trouble is that when the government does something, and this is a problem with the civil service, it's like a very large oil tanker. Mm. And frankly, it's like an oil tanker in the Suez Canal. It's incapable of turning around. And certainly, even when it gets back into the ocean, it's only capable of turning around incredibly slowly, however bad the mistakes were. And this was one of the serious problems of early 2020. Once this had been done, it, for matters of pride and because the civil service will have set these rules and because they set the targets, the very as they saw, very cautious targets, but in fact, very radical because they were keeping this radical state of play for um, in play for as long as possible. It became very difficult to disengage it. It became very difficult to move away from it because it will have been such an admission of defeat, an admission of wrongdoing, effectively, which it was, of course. Yes, exactly right. And as far as the law is concerned, uh, Francis, your your specific area of expertise, many people have pointed to cases of, of prosecution over the last couple of years, people who were fined £10,000 for having a party, people who were fined for sitting uh, in, a, in, a, in a park with, too close to somebody else, all of that. You know, do they have any um, uh, sort of restitution possibility? Can you take a case to the government and say, hang on a minute, you guys were having parties in Downing Street all the time. And, and whenever I hear people saying, oh, why do you care about parties? You know, it's not about the parties. It's about the hypocrisy. And that is the point. Is there anywhere that these people can go legally to say, I want my money back? Well, I mean, legally, these were regulations um, that they, they were imposed under the Public Health Act. Their lawfulness was challenged um, by Simon Dolan. That's the case I mentioned earlier in which I was acting um, and, and unsuccessfully. Uh, and um, so they can't legally be overturned. But my um, view is that the government should say um, and should pass legislation to the effect that they are all cancelled, all fixed penalty notices and all convictions are cancelled and all the fines 
and the fixed penalty notices are already paid. And I think that is the least this government can do, bearing in mind mm. the hypocrisy that it has shown through those parties. As, as you say, the main point there is hypocrisy, but actually the fact that these rules, they never believed in them, they never thought that they were really necessary, and they realised the complete absurdity of not being able to have a gathering in, 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 in a public place outside in May, in the thick of um, what was a very early summer, as we remember, in 2020. It was a preposterous rule and one that they had refused to um, remove. But the fine, the £10,000 fines were a, an astonishing abuse of power, an astonishing abuse of the provisions that under the Public Health Act that allowed them to impose this legislation, imposed in some cases on students. And they weren't actually, unlike, and the government of course misrepresented what they were. They were in agreement to pay a fine. Nobody had to pay it um, because you can refuse to pay a fixed penalty notice and, and require the state to prosecute you. Mm. And at that point, um, the court will decide. And in some cases, in fact, Kirsty Brimelow QC um, has tweeted about this. She brought one of these cases. Um, she, she, um, the student was uh, was told you you have to pay ten thousand pounds. Refused to do it. Went to court and and he was eventually fined two hundred pounds. Well, um, because once the court looked at the proportionality of the sentence, mm. that's all he was required to pay. So that was an appalling abuse of yes. power. And throughout the other the other uh, the other thing about this is that the government and the media and the and the um those who who have supported them and not challenged them have given the impression that guidance has been law so mm. even though the law has gone far further than it should um the the, the greater guidance the, the even more restrictive guidance has been given the impression it's been given the impression that that is law and it never was yeah so for example the closure of schools was only ever a recommendation right. there were powers to close schools um in law and they were never used and mm. yet the government said schools must close their gates um, and, and the same has been in play with, for example, you'll remember in uh, mid-2020, um, wh when most of the restrictions went, in fact, you could legally meet with 30 people. Yeah. But the impression was given by the BBC, by the Times, by many other media commentators and the government, that you had to keep to the guidance, and it was only guidance yeah. about households and bubbles and so on. That was an abuse of power, a very yeah. serious abuse of well, power. Well, and even if you think back to all of the madness around uh, hospitality, where, you know, one minute there was a curfew, uh, the next minute uh, everything was shut at 10 o'clock, and in the centre of London and other cities, uh, there were hordes of people all partying in the street. And you kind of go, great idea, well done. Um, and then they had this kind of the Scotch egg manoeuvre, uh, where you could only sit in a pub if you were eating something, and it had to be something substantial. And we had, you know, you cannot legislate for this kind of madness. And they admitted later the curfews were all just made up. The, the, the rule of six was made up. They thought of a number and, and had a debate, believe it or not, in Cabinet about whether it should be six or eight. And you're going, and is that the most important thing you can talk about? And they have consistently failed to provide evidence for these these measures. Um, when we've challenged them in court, when the, the, my clients have challenged them in court in the cases that I've been in, they've come up with the routine explanation that any reduction in social interaction must, by definition, in, in decrease the risk of transmission. And they haven't cited any evidence no. to support that. Uh, and in fact, there's a good deal of evidence that these these measures made no difference. Certainly masks. The, the best measure of masks is this. If a country introduced masks mandates in isolation of any other measures, you would expect to see a change in the rate of um, increase or decrease um, of cases. Mm. And in no country 
that has done that, have you seen that? So yeah. irrespective of whether masks may work in clinical circumstances, irrespective of their utility in surgery, and even that's questionable, the evidence out for the last two years from hundreds of millions and billions, in fact, of people across the world shows that they do not work as mandates. Well, as a, a, to, 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 to slightly um, bastardise a well-known phrase, even Dick Turpin wore a mask, um, but it wasn't to take us away from disease. It was to steal from us. But that's another story. Um, we had a call yesterday from a man uh, that we know well on this show, Freddie Scovell, who's a listener, but also a member of the founding member of the Free Speech Union. He was chucked out of a dentist, a place he has been going for a long time, uh, where he was a patient, a regular patient. Um, where he lives because he refused to put a mask on. They started demanding that he show them some kind of medical exemption. He eventually showed them that screenshot, screen grab you can have from the NHS website. But they nevertheless still uh, just chucked him out of the dental um, surgery and told him never to come back. Now, uh, he said to me last night, well, what do I do now? Can I now go back and say, well, now they've lifted it. Next week I can come in as a patient. Well, I, I, I mean, I, they haven't um, established that he does not have an exemption. Um, he normally would have no reason to um, to explain and justify his exemption, and, and requiring him to explain it um, requires him to uh, reveal private medical information, which is an intrusion on his privacy. If he has an exemption because he's disabled, and obviously I don't know that, if he had a, an, a, 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 a disability that caused him uh, to be um, exempt from mask wearing, then that uh, would have been an act of at least indirect, if not direct discrimination under the Employment Act. Now, obviously, I don't know the facts of that particular case, um, but that can come into play. Uh, and banning him, but in any event, as a matter of humanity, mm. banning him from the surgery uh, for good, for not complying with a measure that doesn't that isn't absolute that allows exemptions when he said that he has an exemption when they've no reason to believe that he's lying about that is an extraordinary thing to do mm. and i mean this is quite apart from the legal um ramifications of that it shows great inhumanity mm. and i'm afraid to say our health services have shown enormous inhumanity there was an example of a nurse who said well, it's outrageous that these parties were going on when I had to tell somebody that she couldn't see her father when he was dying. Right. And that was for the greater good. No, it wasn't for the greater good. No. That was a disgraceful, inhuman and evil thing to do by that nurse and by that hospital. They didn't have to do it. No. And if they were following orders, they shouldn't have been following them. Exactly right. Like many of the restrictions that we've had to face over the last two years, they were not caused by COVID. They were caused by a government terrified of public opinion, terrified of making a mistake. And in, as a result of which, making too many mistakes to, to number. Just finally, because we've got to run, Francis, um, Boris Johnson, um, he thinks obviously today that he's got away with it. He thinks that by lifting all these restrictions, we'll all forget about his dreadful stewarding, not only of uh, of the last few weeks, but also of the conservative kind of um, manifesto, if you like, and, and, and what he supposedly was going to be elected to do. What's your sort of analysis of what, what happens to him? I, 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 I respectfully disagreeing with you, perhaps. I, I rather think better the devil you know, at least for the moment. Mm. I'm very concerned about who could replace him very concerned indeed jeremy hunt or michael gove would be uh, uh, execrable they have behaved disgustingly over this yeah. uh, particularly gove he's been in power but the court so kind of things that jeremy hunt has called for have been disgraceful mm. um I, I would be terrified at the risk of them coming into power i don't know 
about Sunak and Trust, who are probably the front lowest runners. They perhaps would be better. They certainly would be less disorganised than Boris Johnson. But I, I do wonder whether um, the fact that Boris Johnson is weak is a good thing, because at the moment, I'm not sure that we want strong leaders. Mm. Um, if we had a good, strong leader with great integrity, intelligence and perspicacity, and I can think of one of them in the last uh, 40 years, <laughs> um, then that would be great. But unfortunately, we don't have her. No, absolutely right. Well, I think you might go down in history, Francis, as the first person calling for weak leadership of the country. It might catch on. You could be right. Great to talk to you as ever. Thank you very much indeed. Francis Hall saying, better the devil you know. You might agree with him. Just a group of breaking news before we head to the uh, head to the news headlines. Apparently a senior Conservative MP, one William Ragg, who's chair of the Public Administration and Constitutional Affairs Committee, has said that he's been pressurised by Number 10 Downing Street because of his opposition to Boris Johnson. Uh, he's been threatened... Uh, he says that other members have been threatened as well uh, to be told things like we will pull all funding from your constituency and some rather nasty stories about you might make their way into the press. Well, I think we've seen that with Andrew Bridgen already. Have we not? He told us about it on this very show. We need to hear from a lot of you out there today because this is far from over and you may disagree with what I'm saying, in which case let me know why because you might be right. Um, of course, I'm never going to say I might be wrong because I'm never wrong uh, and you will see that as time goes by. Uh, this is, of course, Talk Radio. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio, also available, of course, on TV. It's the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, the home of common sense. And now you can get us on talkradio.tv, download the Talk Radio TV app from the App Store, and you can watch us as well as listening to us. And who wouldn't want to watch the man uh, who is perhaps one of the best-known figures uh, in the House of Commons, not necessarily because he's in the Cabinet, but because he is a man that speaks an awful lot of common sense. Uh, his name is Michael Fabricant. He's Conservative MP for Litchfield. Michael, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Well, with a lovely introduction like that, Michael, what can I say? But well, listen, we haven't had you on recently. I mean, it's been too long, I'm afraid. Uh, but let's talk about Mr Weasel Wakeford, as I like to call him, uh, who's apparently just, as you heard, been telling everyone up in uh, Bury that basically Labour is the party, uh, the only party, uh, that you can look forward to uh, stewarding the economy in the way in which it should well, be stewarded. I thought it was so funny when he stuttered over the word Neil... Uh, uh, Neil oh, God, I'm doing it now, Neil... <laughs> I've got a Keir Starmer. What am I talking about? I was going to say Neil Kinnock. Yeah. He was going on. He couldn't say Keir Starmer. He well, I mean, it seems to be... Hammering over it. It seems to be a bit of a problem. Jess Phillips called him Keir Starter yesterday in a tweet. <laughs> I don't know whether she'd been at the old... Um, uh, the, the, the cigarettes before she came in. But what about uh, this man, 
Wakeford, who spent most of his career, it would seem, making speeches. We've got a clip which we're going to play later, but it's a bit long, um, of all of the things he said about the Labour Party, all of which are completely and utterly uh, derogatory. He's basically... Well, I hope it's not going to be all, Mike, because, I mean, I, I'm not going to get you in trouble with Ofcom, but I mean, I've been looking at some of his tweets. Yes. The four-letter words beginning with F, beginning with the with He seems C, to like I the mean... C word, doesn't he? He does. He does. He's using it frequently. Yes. But the irony with uh, Christian Wakeford is that only a few months ago, he co-sponsored a bill in Parliament Mm. saying that if anybody crosses the floor of the House, it should automatically, by law, trigger a by-election. He's not saying that now, is he? Well, I wonder whether anybody could remind him of that, perhaps, the next time he's in the chamber. Um, would he please be... Uh, I mean, I, can't, I don't know whether he took any questions, but I dare say the supine media up there won't have asked him the question that we all want the answer to, which is, well, will you be having a by-election, please, uh, Mr Weasel Wakeford? <laughs> well, I agree. I, whether they did or not, I don't know. But I do hope people remind him that he did co-sponsor this bill. And if the bill had passed, it didn't, it would have meant that it would be law for there to be a by-election in his case. I mean, it doesn't, from what I could see yesterday in uh, in the chamber, appear to have um, bothered most Tory MPs. I think it's good riddance to bad rubbish, isn't it? Yes, I mean, it was interesting yesterday. Um, (laughs) I mean... He looked like a hostage being surrounded by those heavyweight Labour MPs making sure he was in the right position. Even though he had his Union Jack mask on, he looked incredibly uncomfortable. Uh, he, he, his head was like that. All his whole body language was saying, I don't really want to be here. And I just think... Well, he wasn't the only and- one. I think the Prime Minister was one of those as well. Well, except, you know, I think it rather united the party yesterday. And, um, you know, I was watching another television station this morning where they had Michael Portillo on. Mm. And Michael Portillo was saying that David Davis is rather dramatic, uh, but it wasn't dramatic, call for Boris's resignation. He said, look, pompous and self-important. And I can tell you, in the chamber, it rather fell flat. Yes. Because we know that there are certain people, William Ragg included, and he's been speaking this morning. Well, he's been making some quite serious allegations, William Ragg, though. He's been more or less Mm. saying that the the number 10 heavyweights, the sort of the the, the bully boys, the uh, the hoods, and we all know who they are, uh, have been leaning on him and saying, you know, if you don't uh, behave yourself, you might find yourself in a couple of the papers with some interesting stories that we have about you. Or even a couple of acres of uh, cement at the bottom of the Thames. No, I don't believe any of it. Um, you know, the whips, whether it's Labour whips or Conservative whips, were set up to have some discipline. And we're all used to it. It's not bully boy tactics. It's just the way to keep a party together to some extent. Uh, he made accusations that money would be withdrawn. That's been absolutely denied mm. by Number 10 Downing Street. You know, the whips have no power to decide where levelling up fund money goes. It's decided by civil servants in the Treasury. And the idea that, you know, a whip could say, right, well, you're not supporting the government, we're going to take money. You'd be a pretty naive MP if you actually believed they could do that. Yes, but I think you'd probably be helpful. Uh, um, and it would be more helpful if you were helpful and you would get more help if you were helpful. I mean, let's not pretend that that's not the way it works. 
Mike, have you ever been a whip? You did that very well. <laughs> You're very no, I've just, convincing I've just there. Been watching, convincing. I've just been watching House of Cards again, the original one, uh, recently, which is my favourite. But Can I tell you, Can I? may I interrupt? Just tell you. So I was involved in House of Were Cards, you? in the production of it. And we did have a scene where one of the characters crosses the floor of the house, mm. just like Christian Wakeford did yeah. yesterday. And in the original script, it had it in the correct way. He's standing at the bar of the house and then he moves and just quietly sits down. And I said, no, we can really dramatize it because there's no rule saying you can't do it the way I proposed. And the way I proposed and the way actually went out was that the former foreign secretary, he, he was the character I hasten to add in yeah. the fictitious House of Cards, uh, is sitting on the back benches gets up, tells the prime minister he's going to resign and then flaunts down the stairs right. in the House of Commons to the middle of the chamber, bows dramatically at the mace of the speaker and then takes his place. You know, I don't plan in the near future, probably ever, to cross the floor of the house. But if I did... That's the way I'm going to do, do it. Well, if you're going to do it, you should flaunt. I think that's absolutely right, and a very good, uh, a very good example to set. Let's talk a bit about Boris Johnson, though, because you know there are those uh, who still are unhappy with him. There are those who still think that he has not stewarded uh, the last few weeks, in particular, terribly well. More importantly, I think, from the conservative aspect of things, there are those who think he hasn't been terribly conservative. You know, he sort of launched this ridiculous kind of Save Boris campaign this week in which he was going to do away with the BBC. He was going to stop all migrants coming over the border uh, from France. He was going to do all manner of things that he should have been doing in the first place, except all he's really done, apart from um, sorting out the pandemic in one way, shape or form, is pushing this green agenda, which nobody really wants. And he got us out of the EU. We got Brexit done. I mean, and people said it would be impossible if we left the EU. Yeah, but that was a long uh, time ago, have a, Ever to have a free trade agreement with the EU, because no other country had done it. And we got it. But yes, I understand what you're saying, Mike. And there's more than a grain of truth in it. I mean, the problem has been that I think Boris expected, you know, get us out of the EU and then he can concentrate on a whole series of policies. Mm. But then what happens? The first pandemic in 100 years to hit the United Kingdom and the world and distracted the government, to say the least. No, I, the, I get all that. And I think people, yeah, under, yeah. And people and can understand I just say, that. By the way, yeah, the great news, the great news is that uh, the World Health Organization, the day before yesterday and last week, the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine both say but actually, because of the way we've handled COVID, getting the vaccine out first, and also not having a shutdown over Christmas, not because it's nice to people not to have that, which was what, of course, the Labour Party were recommending, it actually meant that more people maybe could get a bit more inf gentle infection, if you know what I mean, yes. which wouldn't result in them going to hospital and give them... Anyway, yeah, the because bottom that was, line is they're saying that we could be the first country in the whole Northern Hemisphere to get out of COVID. I mean, that would be fantastic if that's the It case. would, absolutely right. And people were very willing to give Boris Johnson, um, you know, some slack and very willing to cut him some slack, and particularly in the early part of, of, of 2020, where nobody really was sure what was going to be happening and how serious it all was. 
But, you know, events have now moved on to quite an extent. And to say that Christmas was better than it should have been is fine, except for there's a lot of businesses that would disagree with you. A lot of restaurants who had massively down, yeah, uh, ma- massively self- reduced numbers. No, it was people yeah. who took the advice. But it could advice. have been so much worse. More At least more- people were free to go to restaurants. No. A lot of people, I know in Litchfield, for example, in my own constituency, a lot of people were using self-control. Because I went to some restaurants and they were you know two-thirds full yes but but the but the statement from chris witty that you should somehow prioritize your socializing um was the killer and people cancelled it was the party season right it was parties that cost restaurants money it wasn't people like you and i just going out for dinner it was huge amounts of money millions hundreds of millions of pounds down the swanee i can tell you this because i know a lot of people that run restaurants and run catering businesses and run hospitality it literally disappeared in a puff of smoke so you know mm. that wasn't good at all it might have no. been worse i get that but equally, it would have been a lot worse but if, equally if, if, if Keir Starmer, he said if he'd been in power there would have been a complete oh yeah total listen lockdown. you won't so you won't get been, any you, know. you won't get any pro starmer nonsense from me you yeah. know i don't want to see Keir starmer ever in uh, power i don't think he could ever get elected anyway i just don't think he's got enough votes and he'd have to go into um, some kind of bizarre coalition with old ian blackford and his dog we don't want any of that the point is this Boris Johnson has shown, and so have all the people that worked in Downing Street, that they didn't really believe the rules that they were making everybody else follow. And it's not about the parties, and I'm not diminishing the the, the, the losses that people suffered, but it is about the confidence that people have in the Prime Minister. And nobody has it anymore. You guys might still have it, but I don't think very many people in the country have it, other than those diehards who say, well, the next guy will be worse. Well, I just think, and maybe I could be wrong, I agree with you, actually, Mike, but um, we've got to wait and see. And I know it sounds like every Conservative says this, wait for the Sue Gray report. Well, but I think that's, that's just going to be a whitewash, isn't it? I don't know. I don't know. I don't think she's a whitewash type. Well, she's that's what I keep those, hearing. But I mean, I don't she's know what not, she's ever done. What's her, what's her background that proves that she's not a whitewash type? Oh, no. Oh, God, she's, uh, I mean, I don't know the fine Everybody details, keeps but... saying she's not the whitewashed type, but nobody's ever provided yeah, any evidence. Yeah, a lot of civil servants don't like her because she's been quite tough with them over certain things and certain issues. And I know she's no friend of the Conservative Party. So I think it's going to be a very interesting report. But look, I mean, I could explain to you how the garden is part of the office complex so it might well it have been within the rules of garden nothing. controlled area. It means nothing. And that's exactly what's going to go wrong because people will but say, oh, they didn't break Mike, any rules. That's not so, the point. Uh, they went yeah. down to Tesco's and filled up a suitcase with wine. You know, that's well, not... Well, he didn't. Well, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Some people did. Yeah. But he wasn't even there. He was in Chequers 40 miles away and didn't know about it. But look, what the point I want to make to you is, yes, you're right. People do not have trust. But I'm taking the longer view who knows what the situation will be like in three or four months' time? Three or four months' time, maybe we'll be completely out of COVID, more or less. Maybe just getting one vaccination a year, like some of us do for flu. Or I should get for flu, actually. Maybe, God forbid, there's a war going on in, uh, in Eastern Europe between Russia and the Ukraine as A former Prime Minister, Harold Macmillan, once said, events, dear boy, events. Now, I just think that Boris has got star personality and, yeah, he's not a details man, but a Prime Minister shouldn't be a details man. He's not meant to be a middle-ranking manager. Yeah, but he should know some details, like he should know what the rules are, for example, since he set them. Well, Mike, we could get bogged down in this. 
I think Sue, Sue Gray might say that the rules are that you couldn't mix with outsiders. That's what the rules was about. You're talking about a group of people, you know, hundreds no, wait, of come people. come on. No, Michael, I'm not having this. No, let I'm me not, finish. No. I'm not, no, I'm not going to let you finish if you're just going to talk nonsense. The point is this. There was a culture of partying in Downing Street, right? We're not talking about one party in the garden. Well, we had there the, a culture? The woman, I've well, not yeah. Seen it well, there ever. was a woman. The woman who ran the COVID task force had a leaving party in her own office inside the building in December 2020 which has now forced her to resign her job in Sheffield City Council. You know, there's hundreds of them, but I don't want to get bogged down in I don't in think that. hundreds of people are leaving, Mike. I mean, she'd worked for years in Number 10. She shouldn't have had the leaving party. But to say, oh, there was a culture of parties, well, it seems to it seems what to, Neil Starmer says. Well, it seems to the outside... Neil, well, Neil Starmer. Neil, there you go. It does seem to the outside world that that's the case. It's the Christian pro- Wakeford who's put me off the whole thing. I know, I don't blame you. Let's <laughs> just name. not mention his name again. Here's the thing, though. Don't you think that the people in this country deserve to have a leader that they can put their trust in it seems to me that all that Boris Johnson has proven is that he is very difficult to remove. Uh, he is very well supported by people like yourself and others. But the, po- the bottom line is, is that he's done everything that he said he's going to do this week to save his own skin. But so- he's done everything he said he was going to do. I mean, there was a fascinating article in The Economist, which is no friend of Brexit, mm. no friend of uh, Boris Johnson. No. And said, you know, what do you expect regarding Boris? He actually delivered everything he promised in his manifesto. And that's quite something. He does it in a stylish and a very different way. But you know what? That's got star quality. And that's why I like him. He actually Yeah, well, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. That's all very well. But do you really feel comfortable sitting on the government benches of a government that is taxing this country? more than any other government has since the war, practically. And well, which we've is just about, had a war. Uh, which is about we've to, just had a is, war. Well, I think... Well, I think COVID. Some, well, COVID was not a to, war. Sorry. No, we've COVID... We've had to pay a no, fortune. A war is when people are dropping bombs on London. That's a war. It's called a metaphor, Mike. A well, metaphor. Some metaphors can be... i look that one up. I don't have but to look it up. Metaphors can be overused, right? All but, your restaurant owners will say, if it hadn't been for the furlough payments they got... They wouldn't have been open over Christmas, albeit with reduced Well, numbers. I know plenty of them that had to shut. Well, I know that they didn't get any furlough payments over Christmas, so they had to shut. And they no, still had to pay their own. They had to pay, before. but they had to pay their own people out of their own money. But they got furlough payments before, didn't they? And it cost £400 billion. Pounds. So, yeah, I agree with you. I want a low tax, low spend government. But when you spend £400 billion and we're now at the same rates of employment than we were before the COVID pandemic began, unlike France, unlike Germany, unlike other countries in the G7, all the other countries in the G7, I'm afraid, you know, if we didn't pay back some of that £400 out of tax, we'd end with the pound crashing and massive inflation, far more than what we have already due to gas prices. Yes, but I mean, all the people who are going to be suffering because the cost of living is going up are going to be saying, well, that's all very well for you to say. You guys are all getting a pay rise soon. We're all getting a pay cut. You're the first one who's mentioned this ruddy pay rise. Well, you are getting one, aren't you? I'll believe the pay rise when it comes. It hasn't come for the last few years. And IPSA, the independent body, uh, keeps saying, you know, really pleased that they do, that 
actually we should be getting more, but we never seem to get it. There always mm. seems to be a pay freeze. I see. OK, anyway, listen, Michael, thanks for talking to us. Uh, we shall share our views on Weasel Wakeford later. Um, we may not agree on very much else about what Boris should do, what he has done and what he will do. Uh, but Michael Fabricant, thank you very much indeed. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.